Hi everyone, I'm Srishti from Mash Project Foundation and welcome to our podcast series called Social Mashup where we invite thought leaders and change makers to talk about their experiences in all arenas including gender, politics, sexuality uh, and much much more. Um today we have with us Candice Tisuza. Um hi Candice, welcome to uh, Social Mashup. I would request you to please introduce yourself as well. Hello, my name is Candice Souza. I'm a practicing therapist and a psychology teacher, and I live with cerebral palsy. So I guess um, a lot of the experiences I've had have been colored by the lens of not only my disability but also how it's perceived outside. Right. Um, so today is International Day of Persons with Disability. and as a part of the 16 days of activism campaign that mash project foundation is doing um this podcast includes uh, a conversation on um that topic uh, with candice um candice we won't take a lot of your time i'll just jump into um our conversation as well um but before i begin um a lot of our conversation um at least the way i've observed it in workplaces and in education systems as well um our understanding of inaccessibility is quite uniform um or unilinear or linear from what i've understood right so we for example we look at offices and the kind of inclusivity or the kind of accessibility uh, that becomes an issue but what do you think some of what do you think are some of the systems including some some intimate systems like family like relationships that are inaccessible in the way that they perpetuate and sustain ableism right now right so um i think a lot of systemic uh, influence exists in the perpetuation of ableism and ideas about disability prejudices and stereotypes about how we are how we live our lives and i think uh of course family being one of the main ones because family is the first agent of socialization for anybody so that means that within the family system for example the parents would be seen with say there's a child with a disability the parents would be seen through the lens of sympathy that oh you did not have you know your child does not have the kind of functionality that we would hope for in a child you've not had a child that you'd want to have uh, it's you know this it will be seen through the lens of a lot of you know shame and grief and loss that oh it's such a sad you know tragic thing that has happened to you that you've had this child with this disability who's not going to have a quote unquote normal life so to speak and extended you know family as well will come in with you know advice and not just advice on how to look after the child but also advice on what to do including sometimes outright suggesting abortions and things like that i myself have lived through like moments where people have just upfront told me things like um it's so nice that your parents chose not to have an abortion oh acha they came to know after you were born oh that explains it and i i had nothing to say except to laugh because um at some point i may have wanted to get offended also but i think i've given up on even being offended because i understand that 
somewhere as a therapist and as a person, I've come to this understanding that people just don't know how to wrap their head around disability and the fact that we could have a life and we could want certain things. Not just family, it's also education and educate and other policies, including healthcare. So educational institutions will not want us to be in the mainstream because teachers and educators are not trained to look after students with disabilities. The idea that special educators should be in every school has come in only after the Rights of Persons with Disabilities Act of 2016-17. Um, not sure of the year exactly, but it's a very, very recent development. So when I was growing up in the 90s, certainly there was no such provision. And also in education, there'll be some professions that you just won't be allowed to enter. Like I was outright told you should not, you cannot do medicine. Even if you have the grades, you cannot do medicine because your hands are unstable and you will not be able to perform surgery. So when I told them that, what if I chose a non-surgical discipline of medicine, like ophthalmology, you know, and they said, like consulting ophthalmology, and they said, no, they said, absolutely not. Um, you, We won't admit you. And uh, so I chose to do psychology, which is, again, uh, kind of like a uh, mental health care somewhat allied with the healthcare professions but you see so at every step of the way there's going to be a system that perpetuates the idea that I am not equal to or worthy of the same or provide the same value to society that everyone else does so there are a lot of systems in place also the medical system has no better because medicine has not educated people beyond how to manage and treat the symptoms of the disability not really taught um health we've not really taught our healthcare um trainees doctors nurses etc on how to support an adult with a disability number one because all uh, care is focused on the childhood uh, part of your life and also on how to support them psychosocially so yeah, that's about it on that front. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. And this is something that I have observed as well. Um, in terms of like how you talked about medicine only like teaches its students to look at the symptoms. But what about disabilities that don't even have these symptoms, right? So how do you navigate or do you even qualify them? Like how do you treat like people who have say hidden disabilities and the outcasting that happens because of that um but just following up on that as well what impact do you think it has on people with disabilities with respect to not just the kind of accessibility they have to these resources and institutions but also to the kind of relationships that they then form be it with like their family um like for example a lot of like distant family members, just outcast people, right? So what happens to like these relationships and how do you imagine like the work life um, getting affected, um, not just in terms of the kind of work that you can access, but within the work that you're doing and the people that you interact with it, during your work? Right. So I, I do. I'm so glad you brought up the issue of invisible disabilities, because I was hoping to find a way to come to that at some point. But yes, it does affect 
in both visible and invisible disabilities will affect the way you work the lifestyle the life choices you'll have to make with regards to your profession your life your education and also the relationships that you have because for example even if we talk about you know familial relations of course there'll be relatives who may just not treat you the same uh, when i was doing my research on disability i was often told that people said things like please don't get your child to um you know functions that are had for a pregnant woman because the you know the evil eye as they say in hinduism nazar will um fall on the unborn child and the unborn child could con- you know con- if the if the disability is perceived as contagious they'll believe that the unborn child may develop the condition by virtue of proximity not just that even something like even say for example marriage it's another uh, time at which you know this whole conversation of disability as being something that makes you ineligible not just for marriage but also for romantic relationships does come up because there are people who say like i've had people bluntly comment to me that oh you need to find someone disabled to date or to marry oh but you are educated so it's going to be a problem because disabled people don't usually get so educated no so it's it's been really i mean i don't know whether to laugh or to cry at this point honestly because i uh, honestly believe that the re- there's a reason that is also the case no i can't refute the truth of the fact that yes most disabled people do not have access to an education but no one's explaining why the why is also because of the attitude that people hold i think mm, the biggest barrier is the attitude not the accessibility or the infrastructure it's the attitude that the other people in your life will hold for example even with regards to work there have been jobs that have been denied because as soon as i disclosed my disability or as soon as this if it was an online interview that is or if i if they saw me in person for an interview and they noticed the disability they would just say something like okay uh i had one interview where i was interviewing for a position as a school psychologist and she outright told me she said how much do your parents make that they need you to work to feed them and i was very insulted and i upfront told her you know even if i belong to the wealthiest family in the country i would work for myself because just because we have a disability does not mean that we are condemned to live a life of dependency another i'm not saying that you have to have a job if you want to make a, if you are physically absolutely unable to work that's a different thing but my disability does not impede me to the point where i cannot work so i will make the choice to work then there are other times when so i teach a class so one of the you know management uh, people on the team came and had a classroom observation and it was the class right after the break so my class was making a noise and she went and said the teacher has no control over the class because of her disability and uh, i went to the coordinator and i said the same students are in your class when they make a noise in your class what's the explanation then because you don't have a disability i knew that i could have gotten fired for saying this but i was okay to say it because it's the truth right so similarly the prejudice that comes in is there everywhere when they give you a job they it will come with conditions about your performance about your competence about 
how your work and its efficiency is perceived and that you know automatically puts the labor on you to do an exemplary job because if you don't do an exemplary job any feeling that is very natural in an employee even if you say make a minor error at your job it will be associated with your disability with your competence with your lack of skills with the limitations that your body poses on your functioning which is really not okay so i do think i mean the attitude poses a bigger barrier and it does impact the way we end up seeing ourselves at least it had for me at some point and i'm still working through that yeah um i i, I think it's really interesting how on one hand the society wants to somehow like hide disabilities so that it doesn't come into our mainstream conversations um but also somehow makes um like all identity like boiling down to like that disability right uh, and so everything that happens then gets blamed on um the the disabilities so for example if a classroom is too loud if the students are not doing well in a classroom all of that gets blamed on that disability and i think a lot of this attitude is also something that like removes um or hyper involves uh people with disabilities in conversation so if we're talking about romantic relationships that there's there's desexualization on one hand and then there's hypersexualization at one point right um and i think it's it's very interesting how something that wants to be hidden so bad um is also something that gets highlighted as the only aspect uh of someone's life um but i think looking at it from a macro perspective um the like a lot of the aim of a lot of say social and developmental sector organizations even mash project foundation for example um the aim is to work around say inclusivity is to it's to work around navigating accessibility um but what do you think are some of the factors that hinder disability from becoming a mainstream conversation within our discourse about inclusivity and accessibility okay so uh, i think one of the main hindrances to talking about disability is the discomfort the discomfort at all levels whether this is an institutional level policy level individual level you know just a general uh, con- you know department policy thing say within an office or within an educational institution because the first the first and the most obvious one is the discomfort because i do believe that when you look at a person with a disability the first thought that most people have is oh thank god it's not me and it's okay i understand where that thought stems from because yes life is hard with a disability and I, and i am glad as i'm as glad as you are that you're not disabled right but that being said now that you realize how how much of a relief it is to be able bodied you need to also start having that conversation about why we aren't working towards these things one of the reasons i think also as a country is because as they say we have quote unquote far more pressing problems to deal with people are dying hungry while i agree with that i also think that for a society to prosper for any organization to prosper you need to take everyone ahead with you and what people don't realize is that today okay you're a small organization say you have only about 25 employees who are all young it's a startup everything's okay 
the moment someone falls sick or gets injured or gets pregnant or has an accident they're going to need all the same accommodations and supports and you know um accessibility uh, infrastructure modifications that i would need or say you uh, say a blind person would need or a person who's uh, a wheelchair user would need depending on what kind of injury they've had um for example if i need um you know a train with doors because i fear that because the metro is easier for me than the local train because okay the doors shut so there's no scope that someone can push me out the same goes for a pregnant woman it must be so hard for pregnant women who go to work in bombay no one thinks about these things because when we think about them our priority is nahi but itne bade bade problems hai and what we forget is that even though you say okay only about you know um 15% of the world's population is disabled so just because you don't have a disabled person in your organization or in your office or your school or your college doesn't mean we don't exist and that you won't need it tomorrow so the reason the main reason is because you as you highlighted very correctly we've kept disability so hidden from the line of sight of anybody that that's not something we think about because we are not surrounded by it on a daily basis we don't see disabled people shopping in malls or going to colleges except a few maybe that are very very inclusive like say a zaviers or an lsr or any other big organizations that do admit students or so you, because you don't see it you don't think about it that's how i see this of course but there are also other reasons i think it's also finances because i know that the first reason a lot of organizations give is money but then you need to realize that it's an investment for the long term because if you build accessible buildings in accessible offices etc you're going to help a lot of other people other than disabled people you're going to help older people you're going to help pregnant people you're going to help injured people who had an accident it's not a we've just done this for we can't just do this for one employee kind of situation you see what i mean yeah yeah of course i think it's also um and this is a reason that i've seen people use a lot is that how it's just like employees that are quote unquote inefficient or don't work at say the same like targets and the same way that other like neurotypical for example uh, employees or like able bodied employees work um you like we just forget that that's also something that that we have to accommodate right which means that change making can't just be at a macro level where we're looking at bigger issues but also making our employees and our students feel like they're like worthy of being in that institution um in the first place um but i think you're very right in saying that we refuse to change anything that's not comfortable to us um but on that note how do you think we then go ahead and um and i think you've touched upon this here and there till now but how do you think we can reimagine our structures in a more accessible way um and i talk about reimagining and like reforming in a way in which it accommodates for more people in the first place but also in in the vision and the goals it has um for like change making or for for any sort of like target that it has to meet 
yeah so whatever work that you do since you're a social impact you know kind of organization talking about you know social the social sector say whatever work that you do say you work with domestic violence say you work with gender related issues say you work with um you know socio economic uh, marginalization you have to add the lens of disability to it and recognize how many le- additional layers of marginalization come with that kind of situation so whatever you problem you're looking at tackling whether it's the workplace whether it's anything to start thinking about disability itself is the first step so for example if you're looking at gender based violence as a therapist uh, if i speak of my own profession the kind of therapy and the kind of work you do with a able bodied survivor of abuse would be slightly different from the kind of work you do with a disabled survivor of domestic violence because the limitations are more so you do want to look at where in the system the limitations are additional for someone with a disability say it's access to buildings access to even to go to the ngo must be so hard or even to go to an office get a job uh, you know how people say if you're uh, in an abusive marriage just get a job and leave it's not that easy for someone with a disability finding a job that is accessible to you where you can travel to work safely and where the office building is going to be easy for you is not going to happen that easily so whatever work that you do whether you talk of the interiors of a building of an office whether you talk about policy you have to add the lens of what would a disabled person need at this time so for example if you're designing workplace hr policy you might want to look at what kind of support to offer to someone with a say a psychosocial invisible disability like say depression or um say schizophrenia you know if they are your employees what happens when say their um their condition starts acting up and they need some time off can they work from home can they find a, a alternative you know to their workload is there a way to delegate instead of immediately putting them in a position where you say okay you're not meeting targets and so we need to let you go um not just the workplace also in terms of larger policy so if we are talking about education policy it's not just enough to say okay uh, legally you can't deny a child with a disability admission to a school how are you addressing the life after you admit the child into the school or after you admit the student into the college inclusion doesn't end at okay you are here now inclusion ends inclusion first of all never ends but it doesn't end at finding a place at the table you also need to find a voice at the table right so to find that you might want to also look at okay what are the things that need to change to make it easier for this person and if you don't know there's no harm asking of course the labor of educating the larger able bodied community whether it's your employer whether it's your teachers whether it's anybody shouldn't be on us but it's still okay to ask rather than to not care at all and just say okay it's just easier to not hire you or to not have you here right Yeah yeah absolutely i think you're very right in saying that um and i notice this a lot more in educational institutions because that's what i'm more familiar with but inclusion doesn't end at 
entries um inclusion doesn't end at like entries into institutions right what are yeah. um, if the conditions remain the same if um the professors attitude remains the same in how they treat different students um and if they continue to follow like a uniform policy in treating those students for example i think it's it's not doing anything right but i also think that a lot of it has to do with the kind of trust we place um in people right our students our employees because like i mentioned like a diagnosis as a validating factor to show proof to someone is not something that's going to work every time and also not something that's accessible to most people so i think a lot of like making up a culture that involves more people that caters to their needs that understands their needs is something that has to do a lot with the kind of trust we place in them um and like you pointed out a lot of it has to do with the kind of attitude um we hold towards um how we envision ideas of productivity or ideas of excellence and all of these big words um but thank you so much candice i think this was um a very insightful conversation something that i really feel um like a lot of my thoughts also got validated because these are things that i think about a lot and i'm sure um our listeners do too um but thank you so much for joining us and sharing your experience it was great to have you thank you so much for having me and i i think this was a very um interesting conversation for me to have as well i think you you've had a lot of thought provoking questions i think there may be things i've said today that i've probably not reflected on i've reflected on them but perhaps not as deeply as i did today so thank you so much as well